Welcome to Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, welcome. It's Mark Tui with you today on Free For All Fridays, where we review the biggest stories of the week with some of the best speakers on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And before I introduce our two speakers today, let me just share with you the news that beginning Monday at noon, Eastern Time, our brand new Vassy Capella show will air debut its first episode right here on the iHeartRadio Talk Network in this time slot. Make sure that you tune in. Uh, joining us to break down these uh, biggest stories of the week this week, uh, let me introduce Sean Vanderclis, co-host of One Dish, One Mike, which airs in Niagara, London, and Windsor and can be found as a podcast pretty much anywhere that you can find podcasts. And Bob Richardson, Senior Counsel at National Public Relations and a former Ontario Liberal Chief of Staff. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So, Hello. It's good to talk with uh, both of you. The biggest, probably the biggest uh, news story of the week, certainly internationally in this part of the world, is the release uh, yesterday of women's NBA star Brittany Griner from Russian custody. She was arrested in February at a Moscow airport uh, in Russia after uh, arriving there with cannabis oil in a vape inside her luggage. She, of course, is a professional basketball player in the United States. But like a lot of, you know, sub-tier one, uh, you know, professional players and certainly, unfortunately, just about any women's professional athlete uh, just doesn't make the kind of money that you need to make to, to that you can in other places. So she was playing for a Russian a team in the off season, and I, we learned yesterday that she could make uh, five times the salary playing for this Russian team that nobody's ever heard of, uh, as she made with her WNBA team. So you can see the motivation to uh, go back to Russia to play on that team. But she was alleged to have uh, been transporting this uh, vape with cannabis oil in it in her baggage. She was uh, caught by Russian border guards. There was some confusion at the beginning about whether this whole thing was a put-up job by the Russians or whether she was guilty. A Russian court found her guilty after she pleaded uh, guilty, although to be honest, I think you might plead guilty in a Russian court for many reasons, uh, one of which would be that you actually are. Another would be that it's the only way that you can get any shape of justice over there. Uh, anyway, she was sentenced to imprisonment in, with hard labor. And yesterday we heard from uh, Joe Biden that uh, the U.S. had worked with Russia to negotiate her release. And she arrived home this morning, I think, in Texas. Uh, by the time we heard from Joe Biden yesterday morning, she had already been handed over in exchange for a an arms dealer that was being held by the Americans. Here's Joe Biden announcing the deal. Moments ago, standing together with her wife, Sherelle, uh, in the Oval Office, I spoke with Brittany Griner. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia, held under intolerable circumstances, Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and, uh, and she should have been there all along. He references uh, Sherelle, who is Brittany Griner's uh, wife, and explains that the U.S. and Russia had been working on this release for uh, quite uh, a long time. 
We never stopped pushing for her release. It took painstaking and intense negotiations, and I want to thank all the hardworking public servants across my administration who worked tirelessly to secure her release. Now, this raises a lot of questions, not the least of which, Bob Richardson, you have been an advisor in a political office. Uh, there's a lot of repercussions from a decision like this. And one concern that I would have is, does this now set a precedent where I think the precedent was set before, but are we now in a in a world where people will be arrested just so they can be used as hostages in order to swap for people that we want to get our citizens back from custody in other countries? Well, unfortunately, I'd like to say that it hasn't gone on before, but this has gone on before. So this is not a highly unusual uh, circumstance. It remains to be seen whether this was a put up job, given the politics between the U.S., and uh, and Russia right now, primarily over the Ukraine, but other issues too as well. So look, I think it was well handled by the uh, Biden administration. Uh, and the one thing I will say about the Biden administration, whether you like him or uh, dislike them, on issues like this, this guy's got a ton of experience. He was the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate for many years. He was vice president of the United States. These guys are really well seasoned to deal with things like this, as is his secretary uh, of state, Anthony Blinken. So uh, I think they did a good job. It would have been better if they could get a few other people out uh, as well. And it was a larger, uh, larger deal. But uh, that's difficult. And I think it's particularly difficult given the, uh, the chasm between the U.S. And, uh, and the Russians at the moment. So at the end of the day, I would say kudos to them. They did a good job. Sean Vanderclus, uh, when uh, China snatched uh, two Canadians off uh, its streets, the two Michaels uh, we know them as, and held them for uh, over, it was almost two years, I think, uh, hoping, in fact, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, suggesting that they'd be happy to release them if Canada released a Chinese uh, national, Meng Wanzhou, that we were holding on a warrant from the United States. Canada refused to play this game. Clearly, major world powers take a much more Machiavellian approach. Should Canada set aside its sort of ideals and be willing to get down and dirty and negotiate for Canadians held abroad? I mean, I don't know that they should necessarily uh, get down and dirty to the level of which the United States clearly did. I mean, keeping in mind that, like, uh, there was an additional prisoner that we wanted released, that the Americans wanted released, and we didn't get to get that person released either. So with that being said, I mean, I mean, uh, if you ask me, Russia kind of won this deal. <laughs> so I don't know that uh, that Canadians should do it to that level. But I think I think it's in the inter- best interest of the Canadian government, of the Canadian people, that they, they, they do their absolute best to to secure people who may be put in this circumstance. Uh, Bob Richardson, I was standing in line at uh, Tim's for coffee just before the show, and uh, two construction workers were talking about this and saying, my God, they released the wrong person. There was an ex-U.S. Marine who's been held in custody for years in Russia. They should have got him instead of the basketball player who's only been there for a few Uh, months. uh, Yeah, welcome to uh, watching Fox News, because this is a bit of a contrived Fox News story. Look, there are several people that are being held in Russia right now. Uh, it, uh, they were able to come to a conclusion on this file. It doesn't mean that they aren't working on other files. There's a Canadian being held uh, that their U.S. is trying to help out with. Uh, there's this U.S. soldier. There are a number, uh, there, there are a number of uh, people 
people involved in, in this sort of situation. Uh, I think uh, somebody's trying to turn this into, you know, a political uh, negative for the Biden administration, as opposed to saying, hey, good, look, we got one out. Let's get back to work and see how we can get the others out, too, as well. Sean, the guy that they swapped for Brittany uh, Griner was not a nice guy. His nickname is the Merchant of Death. Any concerns about what he's going to get up to next? Well, it's funny because when I was reading the story, like my mind instantly went back to 2005, 2006, when that Nicolas Cage movie was released, uh, Lord of War. So then upon researching, I found out that this guy was based on on that movie. Um, so, I mean, is there cause for the concern that this is America? where where uh, guns are, are are the rule of law in America. So I don't know that they'd be as concerned. What I do find it particularly interesting, though, with the Biden administration is, is that they, they waited this long for this deal to go through. To my knowledge, this could have went through a month ago prior to uh, to the Georgia runoff election. So a little, little bit of concern there. But regardless, I mean, they got what they got and they seem happy. The other person who was being held in Russia, I can't remember his name, I need to apologize. Um, his family spoke out indicating that the Biden administration did reach out and they were unfortunately upset with what was happening, but they were they were in constant communication with them throughout the whole process. So they seem to be happy with it. Yeah, the other person is Paul Whalen. He's an ex-U.S. Uh, Marine. Uh, uh, although I will point out that he was uh, dishonorably discharged from the U.S. Marines after being convicted of larceny and went into corporate security. So his condition, his situation is a lot more complicated, uh, I think, in order to uh, to negotiate his release. Coming up next on Free for All Fridays, the government of Canada suspended a controversial contract between the RCMP and a Canadian company owned by a Chinese company under the thumb of China's communist government. Is this enough? Why do we buy anything from China? Back to Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, it's uh, Mark Tui with you. We are talking about the biggest stories of the week with some of the best speakers on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Uh, with us is Bob Richardson, Senior Counsel at National Public Relations, former Ontario Liberal Party Chief of Staff. Sean Vanderclus is co-host of One Dish, One Mike, which airs in Niagara, London, and Windsor. Uh, this uh, story I talked about yesterday on the Jerry Agar show in Ontario, and it's uh, about a contract that has fallen under concern or under suspicion, I guess. Uh, the RCMP uh, issued a contract in October of 2021 with a Ontario company called Sinclair Technologies Incorporated to buy and install uh, something called a, a radio frequency filters for its uh, communication system. The contract uh, we learned yesterday was under review uh, by the government. We've learned this morning that it has now been suspended uh, by the government because it was issued to Sinclair Technologies, which in 2017 was purchased by a Chinese company called Hytera uh, Technologies. And uh, that company is partially owned by the Communist Party of China, the government of China. Uh, their products have been banned in the United States, and they faced uh, charges there uh, for national security concerns. It's now raising concerns about national security in Canada, although the RCMP says, no, there's no risk. Uh, Department of National Defense, which also has done business with Sinclair, says they're investigating. Uh, we talked yesterday with uh, former CSIS uh, chief of the Asia-Pacific desk, Michel Juno Katsuya, and I asked him 
whether uh, suspending what needed to be done with this contract. It was under review at the time. First of all, the immediate thing is not to make a review. The immediate thing is to cancel this, uh, this contract immediately, torn, the, the, torn that apart. So they haven't done that yet, but they have suspended it. I asked, uh, you know, well, how, how do you actually, you know, can you cancel a contract? He explained that, yeah, it's uh, written into every government contract. In every federal government contract, there is a clause that allows the federal government to cancel any contract anytime they want for any reason they want. So uh, right there, <clears throat> there's a reason to, to cancel this. So, Sean Vanderklis, this is the situation, I mean, the situation between China and Canada has been deteriorating for some time. Uh, a lot of the contracts with this company predated the purchase by a Chinese uh, government-linked uh, uh, corporation. But the government of Canada recently announced that it was taking a different approach to China. This in a world where China, according to our own chief of defense staff in Canada, is essentially at war, not a fighting bullets war, but a cyber war, an espionage-driven war. Uh, we have seen evidence that China is operating police stations illicitly in Canada to intimidate Chinese nationals. We've heard stories that China may have been involved in trying to influence or certainly to just you know, poke at Canada's democratic process through elections. China took two of our citizens hostage and used those to try to influence a, a court case here. They're not our friends. Why, Sean, should the government of Canada be buying anything from them? I mean, I don't, I don't know that we necessarily should be doing that. Uh, if if we, we've identified any nation state as, as a threat to Canadians, as a threat to democracy, as, as we see it, then we, we should have a process that is developed specifically to, to monitor any sort of contracts, any sort of negotiations that we already have in place that may have been grandfathered in or, or any further contracts that we, we are considering. Um, it, I don't know that this is as simple as just a bureaucratic oversight, a bureaucratic misstep. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Bob can offer some more insight. Bob, you've, uh, you might have some liberal sympathies, but you've worked within governments. Uh, in October 2021, this contract, the RCMP says, jumped through all the hoops and passed all of the tests. Uh, it's now been suspended by the government. What's changed? Were they wrong in October to have approved this in the first place? Or is this some evidence that Canada yeah, has like, actually I, taken a harder line? I have no sympathy on this issue. This, this to me, sounds like bureaucratic bungling uh, by the RCMP. I mean, with the RCMP, we might as well put Inspector Clouseau in charge because it's one fiasco after another over there. They're clearly in need of some new leadership. What part of not having a Chinese company selling us um, uh, 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 technology um, uh, is a bad idea? Like uh, this is about as clear as you could possibly get. It's clear. It's straightforward. It shouldn't happen and by the way it shouldn't require political intervention this should be dealt with at the senior uh, bureaucratic level they should be able to figure this piece out themselves i don't care which party's in uh in power so this needs to get cleaned up it needs to get cancelled and clearly the government needs to issue very very uh clear orders to crown corporations and agencies so this sort of fiasco doesn't happen again but, but it looks very bad on the rcmp of all organizations, they should get it. 
But I mean, this this also looks bad on the on the federal government, the prime minister's office. I mean, this is a government that, when China had taken two Canadian citizens hostage, uh, the two Michaels sent a you know a bunch of cabinet ministers, including the minister of I think international development, who posed at a at a Beijing you know ice cream shop talking about how great the ice cream was. Yeah, well, uh, let's uh, let's just talk about the last. Two governments uh, when it comes to China, because the one before signed a secret trade deal that's turning out to be a complete fiasco for Canadians, and it also did military uh, joint military uh, uh, exercises with the Chinese. So I don't think uh, any of our political leadership is covered in uh, glory on this issue, and I think partisanship here probably uh, isn't uh, isn't your uh, isn't your strongest card. Uh, Sean, I mean, that's fair. I mean, all of our governments, there's a huge number of people in China, and we have looked at them with sort of uh, desperate eyes. We want to sell them our stuff, and uh, and that's still a factor in the global economic equation. Canada has said in its new policy it wants to sell more stuff to China, even though it's highly suspicious of the government. How do we balance that? I mean, and I guess that's the, that's the question to answer is how do we balance that? I mean, we still continue to make deals with countries that are, are not often in our favor, favor, Saudi Arabia being one. I mean, even, people can even be critical of the United States and how they're dealing with a lot of their issues there. Um, I, again, I, I don't know necessarily what the answer is, but when it comes to when it comes to a contract uh, of this uh, magnitude that deals with national security. We have to re we have to reevaluate the uh, the checks and balances that the RCMPs and the bureaucrats have put in place to ensure that this doesn't happen. The fact that this passed a uh, uh, security check and went through that process and was still approved. I mean, there there's a clear issue there. Um, so yeah. Uh, just very quickly, uh, Bob Richardson, does Canada, I think Canada has lived in a world where it's a lot, it's, it's survived, even though it's very naive. China doesn't, China is not our friend. Do you think our government, both civil service China, and politics, they understand that yet? I think the government has been naive on this file uh, for a long, long period of time. And uh, I think uh, the present government thought that they could waltz in being a fresh face and everything would be great. That didn't happen. Uh, and I think that they have learned the hard way that the only thing the, uh, the Chinese understand is when you're tough. Uh, and uh, we, need to, we need to protect ourselves. We need to protect our uh, tech infrastructure. And we need to uh, make sure that we are not subservient uh, to them in, uh, in when it comes to trade and a whole variety of other issues. So uh, I, I'm glad that they're cleaning up the mess that they partially created, but uh, there's still a lot of work to do on this file. Yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult uh, challenge for Canada to figure out how it gets the maximum value out of an economic relationship with a country that is led by people who clearly don't have our best interests uh, even anywhere near. In fact, they're quite happy for us to suffer. Uh, this is a country, China is building uh, one of the world's largest Arctic naval fleets to be able to prosecute military operations in the Arctic. China is not in the Arctic. Canada is in the Arctic. <laughs> we are in the crosshairs of uh, Chinese national ambition. There is no doubt about it. When we come back on Free For All Fridays, we'll touch uh, a brand new story that just uh, broke uh, this afternoon. Ontario says uh, we're learning that some Ontario hospitals are thinking about rehiring nurses they fired because they refused to get vaccinations. Is that the right thing to do? 
And now more of Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hi, welcome back. My name is uh, Mark Tui. With me are Sean Vanderclis, co-host of One Dish, One Mike, which airs in Niagara, London, and Windsor. Bob Richardson, a senior counsel at National Public Relations, a former Ontario Liberal uh, chief of staff. CTV News reporting this afternoon that at least one Ontario hospital is uh, considering rehiring some vaccine unvaccinated healthcare workers. It's a bit of a complicated uh, story. Let me try to break it down. Uh, in a memo to staff obtained by CTV News, the interim director of clinical services at the South Bruce Gray Health Center, that uh, is a health center which runs four rural area hospitals in Kincardine, Walkerton, Chesley, and Durham, Ontario. Uh, the uh, interim director said the health network is conducting a review of its COVID-19 vaccination uh, policies as part of its continuing uh, uh, effort to address uh, significant health human resource challenges. Like all hospitals, they're stressed for staff and they have experienced the closures of emergency departments at each of those four hospitals over the last little while. Uh, the memo says that uh, they're sending out a survey to staff to gauge staff reaction to any potential changes to its COVID-19 policy to allow unvaccinated workers to be hired. Uh, This is a weird situation there. They currently have some COVID-19 positive workers at work because they need them. So that's a risk that a lot of healthcare settings have been taking. If you're COVID-19 positive, uh, you used to have to stay home. Now some of those people are being allowed to work because they need them. Uh, They also never in these hospitals fired uh, anybody who was unvaccinated, although they have a vaccine mandate. They have refused to hire people who have not been vaccinated. And so I guess the question is, should they continue to do that? There is a patchwork of uh, regulations across the country. Ontario eliminated its vaccine mag- mandate for healthcare workers in March of this year. Uh, some provinces still have healthcare mandates for Healthcare workers in Ontario is in there somewhere. I mean, it it won't rehire people uh, who were fired or terminated. Uh, Let me start with you, Bob Richardson. This one is a public health issue. It's a political issue. But to me, it's a simple science and medicine issue. I wouldn't fly in an airplane that was being piloted by a pilot who didn't believe in heavier-than-air flight. And so I don't want to be treated by a healthcare worker that doesn't believe in medical science. I think there's no place for them in the healthcare system, but there's pragmatic realities. What's your thought on this? Should these people be allowed to you know, follow yeah. the ranks in our hospital? Uh, this is a tough one. I, I, t- I tend to agree with you a little bit on, uh, on this. Mark, it would not be my favorite nurse to have somebody who uh, you know doesn't believe in vaccines, for instance. Um, all that being said, um, look, we're at a different phase of, of the pandemic, um, and we also have greater knowledge now. I think both of those things um, lead to the conclusion that we may be able to loosen up a bit on, on some of the restrictions that we had in place, let's say, a year or two years ago. Um, but and, and the other problem that we have is there is just this massive shortage of nurses and uh, healthcare workers right now uh, to the point where it's putting uh, people's lives in danger. Um, and are we better off having some of these people back 
serving in hospitals and uh, I guess in doctors' offices and other places where they're helping people, or you know, should we or, or should we not? I tend to lean on the side that says we need the folks right now uh, because we need everybody we can get to keep our uh, you know emergencies open, our hospitals open, and our doctors' offices open. So. Uh, unfortunately, I think that's where I come down on the issue. Uh, Sean Vanderclus, you're probably physically closest to, to this uh, health uh, unit. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I, I, first off, I think it should be a regional approach that we take when when evaluating situations like this. I think nobody knows better than than the individual communities that they live in. Um, like like Bob mentioned, our science and our understanding of the coronavirus, COVID nineteen, has drastically improved. We are not the same today as we were in twenty nineteen when this hit. Um, do do I, if if given a choice, do I want a nurse who doesn't believe in vaccines uh, treating me? Probably not. Um, but that being said, if there's no nurses there to treat people, how how are we going to be properly looking after the patients that are that are there that are attending these hospitals? I mean, you, there are examples all across. The Ford government has done a horrible job when it comes to when it comes to looking after our healthcare system. The current crisis that we're in right now can be traced back to some of the poor decisions that he's made. Um, so we, we go to a different hospitals. Like there's there's hospitals in northern northwestern Ontario where clients are being our patients are being flown out of province out of country for the, for that matter so i mean do i want to wind up in some other city probably not so i think i'd probably take it uh take a, a pediatric care or care from a nurse who might be a little uh hesitant when it comes to covid 19. let me ask you about that because uh, we hear a lot of stories about oh my god uh, my father had to fly to another hospital another city another country another province for medical care in a small community i grew up in a fairly small community in british columbia that was always the case. I mean, there, you know, small centers don't have the type of medical facilities, the medical uh, expertise that they have in big cities. So, I mean, how real is this? Like, we hear these stories of people being flown out, but and we attribute that to either COVID nineteen or this emergency crisis. And I get that it's probably exacerbated, but surely that's always been the case, and that's part of rural living. I mean, I, I think I think that's a fair statement to say that it is is part of rural living, but it's getting to a point where emergency centers are being closed uh, without without any sort of warning. There are two cases that came out last year in northwestern Ontario where 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 the members of said community had no no knowledge of, of the the uh, emergency rooms being shut down. So they drove fifty minutes one way to get to this hospital, had to drive another fifty minutes the other way to get to get to a different hospital. Turned out they were supposed to go to Winnipeg. I mean, and if that is the case, then we we also need to work on better communication with with the the clients and the citizens who live within those respected cities. Bob Richardson, let's put you back in uh, your job as chief of staff to the provincial government, regardless of the party in power. The politics of this are tough. I mean, this you know, if they start allowing you know people to come back, do they have to compensate them for being let go? How do they possibly institute a vaccine mandate next time? Uh, number one, uh, I wouldn't pay them a cent. Uh, and if they want to come back, that's fine. But what happened before happened before, and uh, they made a conscious choice. And uh, so be it. That's that um, uh, in, in my personal mind. Uh, on the other one, if, 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 uh, if a vaccine mandate comes in again and is required under, you know, um, pandemic situations, 
Um, you know, I think it's up to the, you know, the administrators to decide what goes on. And, you know, if, uh, if they don't want to get vaccinated, vaccinated, they may have to leave again. So, you know, I think, uh, I think we've got to leave those uh, decisions up to the uh, professionals. We did a pretty good job in our country last time. We had a third of the amount of deaths that they had in the U.S. Um, because people did go out and get vac vaccinated across the board. Our governments worked relatively well together, uh, federal, provincial, and across the country. All that was, I think, uh, uh, good, uh, good news. So, so you know, I think uh, at the end of the day, leave those sort of decisions up to the professionals. But right now, we need warm bodies in those hospitals and clinics and in those doctors' offices. And uh, if it requires some folks that uh, aren't vaccinated and it isn't a, a huge health risk, then I say let's go. You're listening to Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Coming up uh, Monday at noon, uh, this time slot will be taken by the brand new squeaky clean, so fresh you can slap it, still has the new show smell, Vassie Capella Show across the iHeartRadio Talk Network. A new national radio show officially debuts Monday at noon. Make sure to tune in. When we come back after the break, right here, right now, my goodness, a political party out west has changed its name. Another one in Ontario is struggling to find anyone interested in being its next leader. Meanwhile, another leader at another political party is thinking about jumping ships. Is it time just to have a whole bunch of new parties? Also, are we going to go goblin mode find out when we come back free for all fridays continues on the iHeartRadio talk network hey welcome back it's uh, mark tui uh, along with sean vandercliffs and bob richardson our speakers this afternoon on a couple of the big stories of the day so it's kind of a not quite a lightning round but maybe a quicker pace Round. Let's start in the realm of politics. In Ontario, the new Democratic Party found itself only with one person. Only one person answered the call uh, to be its new leader. She was kind of, sort of, but not entirely acclaimed this week. Her name is Merritt Stiles. Thank you. I am so grateful uh, and excited to be the new leader of Ontario's official opposition, NDP. And the next few months, years, this is this is a critical time for us. This is where it all begins. Uh, this is where we get out across the province and we build our movement to hold this government to account for their terrible actions. Well, you can start by having maybe more than one person interested in the job, but they didn't. Meanwhile, <laughs> Ontario's a Liberal Party uh, is looking for a new leader. There's rumors that uh, the leader of the Ontario Green Party, Mike Schreiner, is being courted for that job and that he might be interested. Meanwhile, in British Columbia, the Liberal Party there, which is nothing like Liberal parties anywhere else, renamed itself BC United. Uh, Bob Richardson, you have a long political uh, history. Political parties come and go and they merge and they change their names. Is it time maybe for uh, new political parties to emerge on the landscape? Oh, I, I think here in Ontario, we're probably pretty solid with the with the three main parties that we have. Uh, I think the NDP chose well with uh, Marit Stiles. I think it is bad for them that they didn't have a convention and a process uh, because a lot of people won't get to know her. I think she's a good MPP. Uh, she was good at uh, education uh, critic. She, she, she's you know got a good personality. 
I think she'll be a solid NDP leader. Um, I was out with 15 Liberals last night, uh, Mark, and not a single person had heard of this Mike Schreiner thing. So I think it's a little bit more of a fabrication maybe here or there. There's uh, two or three solid candidates that are looking at running for Liberal leader, two uh, members of Parliament right now, interestingly, and uh, one MPP, Ted uh, Sue from uh, Kingston. So that will likely be a, a good race. And the BC thing, I think, is kind of uh, cool. It sounds like a soccer team. So yeah. you could get like cool uh, cool kits maybe or cool jerseys and things like that. But uh, they've got good energy, the uh, BC Liberal Party. And I think it's going to be a very competitive ele- election out there next time. So that's the view from somebody who's worked in politics for a long time. Sean Vanderclus, I honestly don't know uh, whether you have worked in politics or not, but I suspect your your job uh, on the radio puts you in contact with a lot of people who aren't. I think the average person doesn't care about the pedigree of political parties. It's more about what are you going to do for me now? And if your name was giving everybody free money party, uh, I would vote for that. <laughs> Uh, you're right. You're right to say that I have never worked uh, in in politics myself. But uh, being a journalist uh, by trade and 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 hosting the show that I do, yeah, I have had some interactions with politicians. I don't know that uh, we're at, we're at the time where where parties need to rename, rebrand here in Ontario. I think we have a pretty good understanding um, of where each party stands, being the New Democratic Party, the Liberals, Conservatives, and, and the Green Party themselves. Um, with, Marie, with Marie Stiles, very much like Bob Bob Ray, she's uh, I'm sorry, Bob Ray. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but but that that's, that's a, you see you see where I'm going with that. But it's a fair assumption to say that Marita is, is a fantastic MPP. I don't know um, that she's going to offer any sort of solution above and beyond Andrea. Some of the criticism that I'm hearing is is that she's Andrea 2.0. Andrea uh, being the former leader of the NDP in Ontario. Correct. Like I'm, I'm slightly disappointed that Wayne Gates, uh, the MPP for Niagara Falls down here, uh, withdrew his name. I thought he would, uh, off given, um, given Premier Ford a good run for his mummy money, as well as Saul Mamakwa, the MPP for Kuwaitnang uh, in North Northern Ontario too. He would be one of the first Indigenous uh, potential Indigenous. Should there be here, a First here. Nations party? Uh, no, because when it comes to First Nations participation and democracy, a lot of First Nations view themselves as sovereign. Um, and and down here specifically in the Niagara region, the Golden Horseshoe, six nations of themselves don't even participate right. when it comes to when it comes to voting. Their last chief and council election process uh, had a four percent turnout rate. <laughs> So the the whoever whoever is leading the community right now in Six Nations is doing so on a four percent mandate. Interesting. Uh, Every year, dictionaries put out their word of the year. For 2022, uh, Merriam-Webster told us about a week ago that the word was gaslighting, the act or practice of grossly misleading someone, especially for one's own advantage. Collins Dictionary said the word of the year was permacrisis, an extended period of instability and insecurity. And this week we learned, uh, Bob Richardson, who is much more educated than me, that their word of the year was goblin mode, something I've never heard of before, but apparently is a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy. Have you ever heard of goblin mode? Well, maybe I've been in goblin mode, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 I'm happy to report I'm, I'm happy to report I'm not in goblin mode at the moment. But uh, I have never heard of that word. I was trying to figure this thing out when I was looking at it earlier, and. Uh, 
I think it's it seems a little obscure to me. If you're coming up and saying it's the word of the year, it should be something that most people have at least heard once. And on Goblin Mode, I haven't, but there may be a period of time again when I want to enter that phase. So I'm not going to say anything bad about it. Sean, is Goblin Mode all the rage in Niagara? I, to be honest, I've never heard it as well. Like I pride myself in usually being the youngest one in the room and being that, being that young, like I still must be, I don't know, maybe my algorithms are Twitter leading me down a different stream. I have never heard this mode uh, term before, despite probably uh, being a little lazy sometimes because of COVID. At least that's my excuse and I'm going with it. Uh, this is all the rage on Netflix, though I can't say that I've met or spoken with anybody who's watched it. There's a hierarchy of the family. You know, there's leaking, but there's also planting of stories. There was a war against Meghan to suit other people's agendas. It's about hatred. It's about race. Harry and Meghan, episode one is a docu-series on Netflix. Uh, Bob Richardson, you amongst us seem like the one who might be most likely to be a uh, a hidden closet monarchist. Have you watched it? Is it worthwhile? A, a full uh, full confession. I have uh, I have a cold and I've been staying home. And I did watch part of it. So you have now met one person. It's really kind of self serving. Uh, it's a lot. It's to try to make them look more empathetic and and warm. It's it, it's an attempt to warm her up. Uh, and it's there's a woe is me feel to the to the whole thing too as well. It's really. It's just enough from these guys. I don't want to hear from them, but uh, it was it was relatively well put together. I will say that. Um, uh, apparently, I think the next in uh, uh, the next one to come out is I think tougher on the royal family than uh, than what came out so far. So far, it's sort of uh, sweetness and light. Sean, we're out of time, but uh, is this on your binge list? Most definitely not being a First Nations man. We do not support the monarchy. But I, I to be honest, I'm curious to hear about. Uh, <laughs> curious to hear about the the race uh, the racism that that the Meghan Markle did experience when when courting uh, the prince there. So yeah, I'm not going to watch it. But it'd be interesting <laughs> to see the cover. You can read the uh, Reader's Digest uh, Cole's notes. Uh, thanks very much to Sean Vanderclus uh-huh. from One Dish One Mike in Niagara, London, Windsor. Bob Richardson, Senior Counsel at National Public Relations. Thanks to Tony Tedesco. Thanks to Samantha Pope for putting together the show. Have a great weekend.